وبارك وسلم وبشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلِّم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قول والعمل والنية والهداء إنك على كل شيء قدير آمين يا رب العالمين respected brothers and sisters students and dear listeners السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and belated عيد وبارك to everyone who I didn't get it, who we didn't, who I didn't get a chance to meet possibly in this past week. Alhamdulillah, it's nice uh, to have our session back here after taking a break, and uh, for all of us, inshallah, hopefully coming back refreshed from this um, Eid weekend that we spent with our families, hopefully. And like we always say at the beginning of any dars, is that we should all uh, renew our intentions. Why we're here? We're here to serve Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We're here too. Please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're here to learn the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we come to the masjid, our niyyah should be to having performed our Salatul Maghrib with jama'ah. And to make niyyah to stay in the masjid till Salatul Isha. And pray that with jama'ah as well. And to make the niyyah that we've come here to seek ilm. If you look at the ahadith and uh, for the various virtues, that the one who goes to the masjid only for seeking ilm, Allah Azza wa will write for him the reward of a hajj. Another hadith mentions the one who goes to the masjid uh, for, uh, for, for, uh, for uh, the isha or, and prays salah with jama'ah, Allah will give him the reward of standing up half of the night in prayer. And then another hadith talks about the one who, who, who goes to the masjid and prays one salah and waits till the next salah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him the reward of performing salah the entire duration. Amongst many, many other virtuous virtues that are there, all we, we all have to do is make multiple intentions. Every time we come and sit in the gathering, let's make multiple intentions. We can also make niyyah, of course, that whatever I learn, I'm going to impart that to my family, to my friends, and I, want to be, I would like to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to serve his deen. And... Uh, Additionally, we should make niyyah that for brotherhood, that we've come here to meet other Muslim brothers and for the sisters to meet other sisters and to build our bonds of mahabba and love for his sake. So all of these intentions we should make. And then the dua we should be making is that, Ya Allah, allow the speaker and the teacher to say those things which are most relevant for me in my life. Whatever situation I'm going through, Ya Allah, allow the speaker to say that which would help me get through the difficulties and problems that I'm going through. Every one of us is obviously going through various issues. And Allah Azza wa Jal is the only one who has a solution to our problems. Allah Azza wa Jal knows what type of weakness we have. And Allah Azza wa Jal can send the uh, answers to us. One of the students who was trying to uh, get some time off from his work to study here. So he told me he didn't have much luck. Uh, you know, I said, why? He says, oh, it's, it's higher up higher up. He said, how is my boss's 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 boss? It's too up there. I said, oh, that higher up, is he khaliq or is he makhluq? Is he the creator or is he the creation? Which one is it? She said, well, he's a creation. So as long as he creation in front of Allah Azza wa Jal, that's zero. Everything in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudra and power is zero, sifr. There's nothing that's going to phase Allah Azza wa Jal to say, oh, this is too hard, I can't handle this. Whatever you want to get permission from anyone, you have to turn to Allah Azza wa Jal and ask Allah to turn their hearts and ask Allah to accept you for the seeking of ilm, 
then Allah will make most amazing uh, you know, solutions for you. It will make amazing things happen. But this, this yaqeen and conviction we need to have that Allah is completely in control. No one else is. And Allah knows my situation. And if I'm sincere, Allah will get me out of this issue. So keeping this in mind, if we attend and read the Qur'an, then amazing things inshallah will be shared with us. We are grateful to Mulana Yusuf who, 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 who taught the class last week or the week before Eid uh, while I was traveling. And now inshallah we'll, leave, we'll continue from where he left off. Ayah uh, number 35 of Surah Ahzab. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن المسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات والقانتين والقانتات والصادقين والصادقات والصابرين والصابرات والصابرين والصابرات والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا أن يكون لهم الخيرة من أمرهم وَمَنْ يَعْصِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا مُبِيْنًا وَإِذْ تَقُولُ لِلَّذِي أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَأَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْسِكْ عَلَيْكَ زَوْجَكَ وَاتَّقِ اللَّهِ وَاتَّقِ اللَّهَ وَتُخْفِي فِي نَفْسِكَ مَا اللَّهُ مُبْدِيهِ وَتَخْشَى النَّاسِ وَاللَّهُ أَحَقُّ أَنْ تَخْشَاهِ فلما قضى زيد منها وطرا زوجناك هالك لا يكون على المؤمنين حرج لكي لا يكون على المؤمنين حرج في أزواج أدعيائهم إذا قضوا منهن وطرا وكان أمر الله مفعولا ما كان على النبي من حرج فيما فرض الله له سنة الله في الذين خلوا من قبل وكان أمر الله قدرا مقدورا So this is ayat 35 to 38 Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Indeed the Muslim men and the Muslim women The believing men and the believing women The devoutly obedient men and the devoutly obedient women The truthful men and the truthful women The patient, the patient men and the patient women Khashi'een, the reverent men and the reverent women. Mutasaddiqeen, the charitable men and the charitable women. Sa'imeen, the fasting men and the fasting women. Al-Hafidheen furujahum, those men who guard their chastity and those women who guard theirs. And the men who remember, وَالذَّاكِرِينَ Allah kathira, And the men who remember Allah much and the women who likewise remember Him. أَعَدَّ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةِ For such a people, Allah has prepared maghfirah, forgiveness. وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا And a magnificent reward. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا مُؤْمِنًا Thus it is never ever befitting. Thus it is never ever befitting for a believing man or a believing woman. When Allah and His Messenger have already decreed a matter, to have for themselves a contrary choice in their affairs. Thus it is never befitting for a believing man or a believing woman. When Allah and His Messenger have decreed a matter, to have for themselves a contrary choice in their affairs. For whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger has truly strayed into clear misguidance. 
And behold, you did say, O Prophet of Allah, to the one who you formerly adopted, to whom Allah has shown gracious kindness, and to whom you yourself have shown gracious kindness. What did you tell him? You must hold fast to your wife and fear Allah. Thus you suppress within yourself what God had willed to be disclosed regarding your marriage to her. You have feared the impression of the people, yet Allah is more worthy of you fearing him. So when Zayd had fulfilled his own purpose of divorcing her, we ourselves married you to her, so that there shall not be any constraint upon the believers in marrying the former wives of their formerly adopted sons, when they themselves have fulfilled their own purposes of divorcing them. For the command of Allah is ever done. It is no offense at all for the Prophet to do what Allah has sanctioned for him. Such has been the way of Allah with those Prophets who have gone before him. For the command of Allah is a decree of predestiny that is ever fulfilled. So in this first verse, you probably have heard this in, in Quran, Taraweeh being recited and things, and you always wonder, this is, I'm sure it's stuck with all of us. Inna al-Muslimina wal-Muslimat wal-Mu'minina wal-Mu'minat. It's a you know, beautiful verse that's different from all the other verses of the Quran. And the difference here is that Allah Azawajal brings attributes and qualities of people, of believers. But what's different here is He brings the qualities of men and women. He, he mentions them separately. Now, there's a rule in Arabic, very common, known uh, rule in the language. That al-fazu al-tafkir yashmulu ta'neef. When using words that are of masculine origin, if you use them in the Arabic language, they include, they, uh, they comprise also the female, females as well. Because in Arabic, you have very specific uh, vocab of uh, verb forms for males and females. So for example, kataba uh, would be someone, a male writing, and katabat with a ta at the end will be a female writing. And uh, if it's two of them, it will be kataba. And if it's two females, it will be katabata. If it's uh, more than two males, it will be katabu. And if it's more than two females, it will be katabna, and so forth. First, uh, uh, first person, second person, third person is all different. So there's specific verb forms for male and female. Now you enter a classroom or you enter a place, a marketplace, and you have men and women there. And you see the, men, the people, the people were shopping, or the people were sitting down. It will be very hard if every single time you, you are referring to a group that includes men and women, that you have to share separate verb forms for each. Right? Every single thing you want to bring male and female. So that doesn't, instead what happens, you just use the verb form for males, and in the Arabic language it's well known that it includes Feminine as well. So, Ya Yuhalladina, Amanu. Amanu is a verb form for males. Oh, those who believed. Obviously, this doesn't mean all the Ya Yuhalladina Amanus in the Quran is not speaking to women. Then, mashallah, they got chutti, right? Day off. <laughs> not day off, the whole year off. They got nothing to do. Relax, because all the Ya Yuhalladina Amanus in the Quran are speaking to men. Obviously, that's not the case. Yuhalladina Amanu is speaking to both men and women. But in this case, Allah Azza wa Jal. Do, according to some narrations, some of the women specifically asked Rasulullah you know, how come there's no specific mention of ours? 
So that became a shan nuzul or sabab nuzul, a reason for the revelation that Allah Azza wa Jalla in this verse made it very clear that although you're, you have not been specifically mentioned elsewhere, because that's a language, the beauty of the language that one verb is used for everything. Like in English, we don't even have a separate verb for our separate words for males and females. So here you have uh, Arabic is great, it has that, but for the Quran's sake, maybe you can call it, it would be redundant, whatever. It was not used. Only in this place, Allah Azza wa mentioned that. To set the, set the record that when it comes to taklif and tashrif, when it comes to honoring women and men, when it comes to demanding rights and demanding fulfillment of the commands of Allah from men and women, they're all equal. Taklif and tashrif. Taklif means not taklif in terms of giving pain to someone. In Urdu as we say, taklif is taklif al-shar'i, is when Allah Azza wa Jal, mukallaf shar'an, is someone who is dictated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do something. That's called taklif. So when Allah Azza wa Jal expects a person to pray, to fast, to guard their gaze, to give sadaqah, etc. So when it comes to taklif, males and females are same. When it comes to tashrif, honor and, uh, and, and, and respect, males and females are same. In what's the rule? Indeed, the most honorable amongst you is the one who's got the most God consciousness. That's it. As long as you got taqwa, you're ahead of the game. So one female who is muttaqiyah, who's got fear of Allah, is definitely more superior and more weighty in front of Allah Azza wa Jal than a thousand males who are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the, the issue here is not about gender. The issue here is about your personal relationship with Allah and your God consciousness, taqwa, that's what, what counts. So these verses, in the, this rather this verse, brought all the beautiful traits that you and I all should aspire to have, but mentioned simply men and women separately to set the record straight for men and women that when it comes to the expectations from both of you, it's the same. Maybe, uh, I mean the level is the same. Maybe obviously certain things are ahkam are different, conjunctions are different. But the expectation we have that you need to work hard to please Allah and this is, what, this is what's waiting for you in Akhirah, that's the same. So the first one, Muslim and Mu'min. First one is Muslim, right? The Islam is where it starts off from, the basics. This is when a person humbles himself in front of Allah Azza wa Jal. Islam and Iman are uh, a little bit different. Islam works from the external aspects of a person's life. Your limbs submit to Allah, right? Your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, all of that submits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever command Allah azza wa has put towards our ears and our eyes and our tongue and our mind, etc. Islam is about submitting ourselves to that will, to that dictates of the sharia. And iman, on the other hand, is not working from outside, it works from inside. Iman starts from the heart. Iman is when your heart and your mind humble themselves in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person can be dressed in a certain Islamic manner, can be eating in a certain manner, but in his heart he's not happy. In his heart he's not content. Um, or like I spoke about the other day in Eid, a person is sacrificing an animal on Eid day. Or he's just doing the Eid, Al-Adha, Takbirat, etc. He's doing, he's following the through externally. But inside his heart, he says, you know, these, these things, these expectations in Eid al-Adha of sacrificing the animal, Allah forbid, don't make sense to me. I'm, I don't have sharh al-sadr. I'm not content with this. You know, in this 2021, we're doing this type of stuff, etc. All those things. So what, where does that come from? The weakness of the iman. Weakness of the iman 
is not allowing this person to humble his heart in front of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who, who am I? Who are you to sit there and say, this doesn't make sense to me. How did Ibrahim leave his wife in the desert? Okay, that doesn't make sense. How did he put a knife to his son? That doesn't make sense. So what is all of these ishkad and these objections? They all come from the weakness of iman. Frankly speaking, weakness of iman. A person cannot, he's not at the wavelength to understand and to submit himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command. Allah azawal mentioned Surah Al-Hujrat. Qalatil A'rabu Amanna. The Bedouins said, the Bedouins, what did they say? Amanna. We have faith. Right? We have faith. Allah azawajal tells them, Qul, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tell them, Lam tu'minu. You do not have iman yet. Lam tu'minu. Walakin, rather, Qulu aslamna. Say you have merely become, merely become Muslim. You have not. Don't claim iman yet. Iman has yet to enter your hearts. This is direct verses from the Quran. That they're coming to the Prophet and, and boasting their favor as though they did a favor to the Prophet. That we are people of Iman. And the answer he's being, Allah is telling the Prophet to give them that do not claim what you don't have. Don't claim Iman. Iman has even entered your heart. You're just practicing Islam externally. Right? If you obey Allah and obey the Messenger and you continue to do so, then of course you will reach that level. But at the moment where you're starting off, you're just starting off with Islam. So Iman is something definitely one step ahead. Hence every mu'min will be regarded as a Muslim. But not every Muslim will be a mu'min. Right? Okay, every Muslim may not be a mu'min. Every mu'min will be a Muslim. Our ustad would explain, Iman starts from internal aspects of your heart and starts moving outward. Islam starts from outside and starts moving inward. And ideally, that's where Iman and Islam are supposed to meet halfway to become a true, true believer. Um, Iman, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa has mentioned hadith. He said, iman The one who, uh, uh, who has three qualities. Man rabba. Whoever is pleased with Allah as his Lord, Islami Dina. Whoever is pleased with Islam as his religion. Wabi Muhammadin Rasula, whoever is pleased with the Prophet as his prophet, he will have tasted the sweetness of Iman. So Iman has got a taste to it. Iman has taste to it. Your heart and your is able to taste it if you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and got these three qualities. What is this three qualities? Notice all of them are connected to radiyah, to be rida, happy, happiness. Imagine, Iman is being translated as what? Definition of, if you have happiness with Allah, with the Prophet, with the religion, you'll be able to taste the sweetness of Iman. It's not about actions. It's about a higher level than actions. It's about what you feel in your heart. So this is a really integral point. What Allah doesn't want us to just do, do what we're asked to do. He wants us to do it happily. He wants us to do it thinking that it's not a burden, but rather it's an honor. That's Iman. That you're tired. And yesterday I think, so I was mentioning to someone about you know, doing studies together with work and this and that. And can you do hifd also? Can you work also? Can you study also? And it, you, know, you can do anything you want. At the end of it, you'll get very tired. You'll be sleeping four or five hours a day. But I said, the sweetness you'll get in there if you know what you're doing it for, is like that example I give of a physician who's got diabetes also, and he's making rounds also, you know, and he's, he's been 18 hours, he's been in the hospital. And he's, he's, he's taking sweets and, 
and his, you know, trying to keep his sugar levels proper. And he's still making rounds. And he's, you know, in his 70s. And you say, what are you doing? But he knows for every patient he visits, he's getting money in the rooms. Every single rounds he makes, he can be billed. So, people will say, bhai, please stop it. But he sees what he's getting at the end of it. He's getting money for that. So now he says, I will put myself through trouble. I will get myself, I will get myself, um, you know, I'll keep myself going. But I'm not going to give up. You don't need to feel sorry for me. Alhamdulillah, I'm okay. That's what a Muslim is. When it comes to amal, when it comes to studying, when it comes to studying the deen, when it comes to working, when it comes to taking, he says, no, for me there's nothing more great than, than, than studying the deen. A person, mashallah, we meet I, I, you know, individuals who have such a thirst for knowledge. Recently, in the past week or so, I came across, I, I shared this before also, a, a, a lady, a relative of mine, subhanAllah, I'm honored to you know, share this, that subhanAllah, she, along with raising her seven children, she ended up doing the entire alima program over seven years, eight years. And then before that, it took her six, seven years, she did the entire hifz al-Quran, right? Imagine how hard it must be challenging to handle all of this stuff. But when a person understands that what am I getting at the end of it, then he doesn't mind just going by in four hours of sleep. Because the sweetness you get from studying, from serving the deen, from standing in front of Allah Azza wa Jal, iman. If you tasted it, you can't explain it to someone who hasn't tasted it. You just can't. Like we, you know, that's just what it is. That you look at people who, who exert themselves for the dunya, and you say, why are you doing that? Because they have tasted a certain, unfortunately, intoxicating level of sweetness of dunya. And the Prophet ﷺ said that. dunya hulwatun khadira. He said, dunya is green and sweet. Hulwa, sweet. Khadira, green. Like lush green, you know, garden. It's very inviting. Ya'kulu minhal barru wal fajr. The righteous and the evildoer. They both take their full share of it. Dunya, you'll see, the righteous ones and the evildoers both have a full share in it. Okay? Ya'kulu minhal barru wal fajr. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, أَلَا إِنَّ الدُّنْيَا حُلْوَةٌ خَذِرَةٌ يَأْكُلُ مِنْهُ الْبَرُّ وَالْفَاجِرُ أَلَا وَإِنَّ الْآخِرَةَ أَجَلٌ صَادِقٌ Listen, in the hereafter, أَجَلٌ has a set time, صَادِق, it's truthful, it's going to come. يَقْضِي فِيهَا مَلِكٌ قَادِرٌ A all-powerful Lord will make decisions on that day. فَعْمَلُوا Work hard. وَأَنْتُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ عَلَى حَذَرٌ While you're constantly afraid of what Allah will do with you. Don't close your eyes and everything's set because I'm working hard. What is it? Work hard while you're afraid. You are scared. What's going to happen? What if I just mess up? What if I'm in, insincere? What if I say some one statement that would completely invalidates everything I did? You don't sit back and relax. Instead, while you're working hard, as they say, keep on working hard and keep on be afraid. What if it doesn't, it gets all rejected? And know, annakum. Know this true fact. That you are going to come face to face. With who? With your own actions. That's going to be the scariest part. One is to say, you got to see your father. You got to see your mother. You got to see Fulan. Why are you going to see your own actions? Allah is saying. Allah is saying, your actions will be given a form and then you're present. What are you going to do at that time? What, where, 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 you can't deny anything. Allah will give the actions a shape and form and we present it on the day of judgment. Whoever did an iota of good deed will definitely see it that day. Whoever did an iota of sin will see it that day. 
Nothing escapes Allah Azza wa So what a powerful hadith this is, subhanAllah. It tells us, encourages us to make sure that we continue to work along with fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are speaking about the fact, what is Iman? Iman is not doing things just for the sake of doing it. You have to, you have to be happy. My beloved friends, when you do so, then you will get the sweetness of faith. You first have to be happy. I'm so happy I got my Lord who tells me to pray five times a day. If you, if you do it grudgingly, you will never enjoy Islam. First, you have to be comfortable and happy you have Allah as your Lord. Then, Muhammad is your prophet. That you want no other prophet. Yes, I have this sunnah, this sunnah, this sunnah. But genuinely speaking, I'm so happy he is my Nabi and I don't have any other Nabi as my Nabi. And lastly, that Alhamdulillah, I have the way of Islam as my, my deen and no other way. Many times, we may hear people, ourselves, Allah forbid, saying things of that sort, criticizing some of the sunnahs of the Prophet wasallam. I don't know why Islam says this. I don't know why Islam said that. These are very dangerous statements. You won't be able to get the full benefit, or actually any benefit from the deen, if we have ill feelings. And since we have a lot of students sitting here today, I'll also mention one thing. Is that in order to benefit from your institution that you're learning at, and in order to benefit from your teachers that you're studying from, I think this, this hadith is very beneficial to apply in that sphere as well. Meaning, if you are not genuinely happy with your teacher as your ustad, and proud that you have such and such of a teacher, and you're not genuinely happy that you are studying ilm and not elsewhere, and that you're not genuinely happy that you're studying at the institution that you're studying at, then the doors of ifada, istifada, the doors of benefiting, unfortunately, will not be as wide open. You get what I'm saying? So it's not that we just show up to class grudgingly. Oh, here I am. Okay, I got this teacher. I got this book. I got this course. Here I am. Let's just go through it. If you do that, then the, the, your level of benefit will be very limited. Instead, a person should say, wherever I am, if Allah has willed this for me, it might be a one school, what they call a one-room classroom, or one, room, one classroom school. It might have only two books, two books in the library, right? Whatever it is, as long as this is my ustad, and this is my madrasa, and this is the book I'm studying, alhamdulillah, that's it. I'm going to be happy with what Allah has decreed for me. Then you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put such barakah in that study that you won't get elsewhere. We have this attitude, thamma khair, as one of the chokes would say, thamma khair. Thamma khair means udar udar, udar. It's good over there. Always looking on the other side. Everyone wants to look across the fence, over the fence, to see, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. Everyone is thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Even students of knowledge do this all the time. So this is just simply a waswasa of shaitan. Mulana Suleiman Mullah, our honorable teacher would say, he would tell the students, he said, there are some of you sitting here while you desire to be outside of the four, four walls of the institution. While there are people who are driving by the institution and they would give everything they could to be sitting over here. By Allah, those people who are outside in the dunya wishing to be here are far superior than those who are sitting here wishing to be outside. Right? So it's not about, about where you're sitting. It's about what is the condition of your heart where you're sitting. What do you desire? Do you, are you genuinely happy with what Allah has given you? And are you enjoying every moment of it? And if that's the case, then even if it's a few days, even if it's a small a year or whatever it is, Allah will put so much barakah in it that you will gain amazing things. Did you understand what I said here? This is a very important point that you're not going to be able to taste the sweetness of knowledge until you have rida, until you are happy. 
Similarly, you cannot taste, as the hadith mentioned, you cannot taste iman until you have rida. So rida is a condition, is an action of what? Of the heart. Rida is not from the eyes. Rida is not from the ears, or hands. Rida is a, situa- is a condition of the heart. So iman is based in the heart. All the actions of iman are based in the heart. And so just like the heart is the king of all organs, without the heart, your body cannot function. You can function without an eye and an ear, but you definitely cannot function without a heart. Similarly, the actions that emanate from the heart are the king of all actions. Just like the heart is the king of all organs, similarly, the actions that emanate from the heart are the king of all actions. What are the actions that emanate from the heart? Iman. Niya. Ikhlas. Rida. Right? Raja, hope, khashiyah, khawf. All of these things are actions of the heart. And that's why you, sometimes you say, how come niya is such an emphasized thing in our deen? How come niya can be so strong? You say niya is so strong that it can make up for a bad... bad the weakness of the action is made up by a strong niya. How is that possible? Because niya is emanating from the heart. And the heart is the king of all organs. Hence, niya itself also becomes a king of all actions because it's emanating from the heart. So our whole aspect of tazkiyah and tarbiyah is fixing on this organ. Number one, this organ, the heart, has to come right, has to become pure. So this, my dear friends, is iman and islam. And a person, as we work on, on improving our islam, we also have to be working on our iman. How do we improve our iman? Well, Obviously, one great way is by speaking Allah, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness. And by speaking about the unseen. The more you speak about the unseen, the more you speak about unseen, which is Allah, which is angels, which is the prophets, which is hellfire and, hell, and paradise, day of judgment. All of those things that we have to have faith on, imaniyat. The more we speak about it, and the more we say this is the truth, the more our faith on those things will increase. They say out of sight, out of mind. Imagine Iman from the very get-go is about believing in things which are out of sight. <laughs> right? Iman bil ghaib is believing in the unseen. So if we don't constantly be speaking about the unseen, how is our faith gonna ever be there? It has to be continuously spoken about in our gatherings. Speak about the unseen, be it paradise, be it hell, whatever it is, and you'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will increase our faith on it. Uh, next attribute is qanitin, devout, devoutly obedient. Qunut, uh, if you remember, we had done this at the very beginning of like, you know, two pages ago. وَمَنْ يَقْنُتْ مِنْ كُنْ The first ayah of this juz. Whoever does qunut from amongst you. So what is qunut? Qunut is to worship Allah with consistency. That's what it means to be victorious. It, it, that's what it means to be overall winning. If a person opens up his business and one day of the week he makes a thousand dollars, mashallah. But six days a week he's losing 300, 400, 500. Net at the end of the week, what is it? It's going to be loss. So, my dear beloved friends, qunut is for us in our deeds. It shouldn't be that we get excited. Days of Dil Hijjah come, we go all out, we fast. Every night we're doing tahajjud. And after the days of Dil Hijjah are gone, we completely go back into our own life of major sins and neglecting fard. That is not smart at all. Qunut is when a person says, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take it small steps. But I'm going to remain consistent. When big nights and big days comes, I will increase. I'll do more. But when it comes to the basics, I will never go below that level. 
I'll never fall below that threshold in which I fall into haram, where I fall into neglect of fard. This is what qunut is. The Prophet Sallallahu famous hadith related by Aisha radiallahu anha. Ayyul a'mali, ayyul amali ahabu ilallah. Which action is most beloved to Allah? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Adwamuha wa in qalla. That action which is done consistently even if it's small. And I've given this example of our attendance in the tafsir class. This, this small action is 50 minutes, an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. In the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it will be very valuable. But the key thing is we do consistently. You know, that's the thing, whatever happens. That's the issue we, we have. We're able to come for three weeks and then we disappear for six weeks. Then we come for one week and disappear for nine weeks. And subhanAllah, then there's no barakah in it. There's just really no barakah in it. Just like anything you sign up for, my beloved friends, you should take the, any class in any masjid that you're attending, to attend it as a class. Just like you sign up for a class and you're there every single week. Similarly, a person should say, I'm attending here for my benefit. No matter whatever happens, I'm going to stay, attend consistently. Alhamdulillah, that's why it's in the middle of the week. It's not on a Saturday night, Friday night, where you have weddings, you have walima, you have all sorts of other things going on. And mostly Tuesday nights, we don't have any other you know, con conflict with any other programs. Only conflict is with our nafs and shaitan. Right? It's a nafs and shaitan comes up with all sorts of excuses. So everyone who is listening here, online, on-site, if you were to just simply make it a goal, on Monday night you put a reminder for yourself, that Tuesday I gotta go. And then Monday night you message 10, 15 people. And to say, inshallah, I'm, co I'm coming Tuesday, let's go together. What happens, whether those 14 other people show up or not, at least you will show up. And this will create istiqamah within you. This will create istiqamah. And that's what's valued in our deen, my beloved friends. Our Ustad Mulan Abbas would always say, Al-istiqamatu fawqa alfi karama. He would say, Al-istiqamatu fawqa alfi karama. Steadfastness is a, is a miracle greater than another, a thousand other miracles. You know, people talk about karamatul awliya. Did you hear the shaykh? What did he fly? Does he fly on, on his musalla? Is he able to make you know, water come out of a plastic bottle? Just, you know, is he able to make his tasbih, uh, you know, just move around in the musalla? What, what big karama does a sheikh have before I go listen from him? So the saying goes that the biggest karama of a sheikh, or any person for that matter, is what? Consistency. Even if it's six rakah of salatul awabin after maghrib salah. Then don't leave it. No matter what happens, it's the day you're getting married also. The day your son's graduation. Doesn't make a difference. You're at a wedding hall. Who cares? You pray. Nothing, nothing's going no, to fall apart in eight minutes. You pray your maghrib, and then you pray your six rakah. Awabin. That's called istiqamah. Our tasbihat. Our tasbih fatimi. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. After every salah, istiqamah. So I know this is something we're, I'm struggling with. We're all struggling with. We have to ask Allah Azza wa Jal for tawfiq. We say, Allah grant us istiqamah in any good deed that we're doing. Ameen. So for a, for a believer, my beloved friends, Al-Mu'min la yata'athar bil-ahdath. A believer does not get affected by the happenings of this world. What difference does it make to you? Like for example, Alhamdulillah, this group of brothers sitting here listening to me. Your Zuhar Asr. Does it really make a difference whether it's the day of your interview? The day of your you know, son's graduation, the day of your uh, you know, first day of work, uh, the day of your traveling overseas. Alhamdulillah, I have confidence that this whole group of brothers and sisters who are listening, you don't have a problem. There's no such thing as, I'm going to take off today from Dohar. I'm going to take off for Fajr. It's in your mind that I don't care what happens, I'm not going to miss my prayer. That's, 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 that's something we don't negotiate with. That's Iman within you that says that. That these are non-negotiables. I walk off from the job, but I'm not gonna, you're going to force me to miss my fad salah, that's not going to happen. Right? 
Now, is everyone like that? Are all the Muslims in the world like that? Unfortunately, no. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen you and I to be like that. Alhamdulillah. So why don't we take it to the next notch? To say besides, just like I have istiqamah in my fard salah, let me have istiqamah in my daily recital of Qur'an. Whatever happens, I have to recite my daily Qur'an. Whatever happens, I have to recite my morning and evening afkar. Whatever happens, I have to, you know, uh, do, uh, give some sadaqah. Say some kind words to my parents. Uh, take care of my family, etc. No matter what happens, المؤمنو لا يتأثر بالأحداث A believer does not get affected by his environment and those things that are going on with him. Next, والصادقين والصادقات Those who are truthful, men and women. There are two types of truthfulness. One is صدق بالأقوال The next is صدق بالأفعال To be truthful in your act, in your words. Don't lie. We got that. We don't understand that. But similarly then there's truthfulness in your actions. Meaning, when a person says, I am a Muslim, and then the actions must also align themselves with this statement, I'm a Muslim. To say, I'm a mu'min, my actions must align myself with this type of statement, I'm a mu'min. وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ Those who, men and women who remain patient. So, ulama have said that, iman, al-iman kulluhu sabr. Iman, all of it, the gist of iman is sabr. All of iman is sabr. How is that? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a fitrah, innate nature. And then He, Allah azza wa also created us with certain habits. Now, the dictates from Allah go against these habits or these normal traits. For example, a person loves to sleep, enjoy his bed. Who doesn't? But now we have a command that forces us to wake up for fajr. You come late from work, you want to sleep. The command to pray your isha and your witr. A person wishes that person is inclined towards his wealth. But the command of Allah Azza wa comes towards spending that. There is the fitra, the, the nature, or you want to say the habit of attraction to the opposite gender. The fitra, the sharia comes and says, lower your gaze. So these things go against what we desire. The sharia goes, hits up against what we desire. So for a person to be able to overcome this little, uh, you know, uh, hill or this mountain for some, what does it require? It requires patience. You have to be super patient in front of the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why Allah says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ The one who is afraid of standing in front of Allah, وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى and protects and holds back Holds back his cardinal desires from, sorry, he holds back his inner self from following its cardinal desires. He is going to have Jannatahi al Ma'wa. Jannah will be his resting spot. So we have to learn how to put a leash around the nafs. The nafs is tugging and pulling us towards what it likes to do. Like a child naturally wants to eat lots of chocolates and candies, a child naturally wants to get its hands towards every shiny object. Everything that's on the counter, everything that's in, in plugged into the wall. That's the natural way, right? Look at all of us who've got little kids at home. They're always doing nine out of the ten items they're going to do, things they're going to do are going to be harmful to them. <laughs> right? They, they, it's just, no one told them to do that. They came with that. That's how they're packaged. That's how we all are packaged. We naturally gravitate many times towards those things which are harmful. And then, just like the mom and dad say no and stop them, the sharia comes says no. Lower your gaze. Block your ears. Don't listen to that. Don't think like that. Don't walk there. Don't eat this. 
the question is, will you follow what this inner nafs says? Or will you hear the voice of the angel, the command of Allah, and follow through that? That's what the whole imtihan is about. That's a whole test. So what, how do you win this test? Through sabr. So there are two types of sabr. One is sabr ala amr taqwini, and one is sabr ala amr taklifi. To be patient in front of taqwini. Taqwini is nature, natural happenings of the world. To be patient in front of natural happenings of the world. Allah decided for someone to have an accident. Allah decided for someone to lose their job. That is a command, that is a decision of Allah Azza wa Jal. That is a decision of Allah Azza wa Jal to affect your life for whatever reason. Now you have to remain patient. And then there is a taklifi, which we just talked about, dictates of sharia. Allah Azza wa Jal says, give this so much zakat, give this much sadaqah, take care of your parents, take care of your wife and your kids, fulan, fulan. That requires sabr. So a person may say, for example, uh, you know, a person may get married and then he say, man, subhanAllah, this is so hard. Right? One person recently, that's what happened to him. He told me, that's it. Yeah, I said, brother, marriage is, 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 is a test from Allah. He said, yeah, I figured out the second day. <laughs> he, said, he said, done. Khalas, I can't get married again. You know, unfortunately, he parted ways. And so he's like, I'm done. I said, no, you're not done. That's not how it works. Even if it doesn't work with this one, okay, khalas, there's some, there is, this is a whole, this, in this place, this world is a place of imtihan. Yeah, I don't need to go through that. I know you don't need to go through that. Yeah, you're right. You don't need to even pray. You don't need to do anything. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to elevate your status and He's put these conditions upon you for you to, to go through difficulty in life and prove your loyalty to Him. And to follow the sharia in marriage, follow the sharia with your wife, with your kids, with your husband, with your parents, with your in-laws, right? All of these things are challenging. Otherwise, if you'd be living in the middle of nowhere, disconnected, you don't owe anything to anyone, of course it'd be easy. You scream whoever you want, fire whoever you want, say whatever you want. If imagine life was such that you were, your needs were not connected to others, what would happen? Allah Himself says that. He says, if I were to give risk to everyone, and if I made everyone super rich, what would happen? No one, the gist of the ayah is, mm, that there would be just open chaos. People would never be willing to, the only reason we humble ourselves in front of one another and we try to get along is why? Because we need each other. Think about it. Deep down, this is the reality. Everyone needs one another. Mom, dad need each other. Parents need kids. Kids need parents. Right? Husband needs wife. Wife needs kids. This whole aspect of interdependence is what brings humility within us. And if we didn't have that interdependence, and we just didn't, we, we didn't, we didn't and you know, think about it. If you didn't need someone to cut your lawn, you didn't need the king, didn't need someone to cut his lawn or to take care of his cleaning his palace, how would he treat people? If everything just happened unknown. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the king also, or the rich person, also in need of someone who's doing a you know, uh, menial job. So this interdependence creates within people humility and humbleness. And we're forced to get along. That's the imtihan from Allah. To see how are you going to manage that. The Prophet ﷺ had no need for this. But he did that. He showed us that this is how Allah wants us to live. Allah wants to live a life in society. Hence there is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. The gist of which is, الَّذِي يَصْبِرُ النَّاسَ عَلَىٰ أَذَاهُمْ الَّذِي يُخَالِطُ النَّاسَ وَيَصْبِرُ عَلَىٰ الَّذِي يُخَالِطُ النَّاسَ وَيَصْبِرُ عَلَىٰ أَذَاهُمْ خَيْرٌ مِنَ الَّذِي لَا يُخَالِطُ النَّاسَ وَلَا يَصْبِرُ عَلَىٰ أَذَاهُمْ The one who mixes and mingles with the people, the one who mixes and mingles with the people, and then remains patient when they hurt him, is better than the one who does not mix and mingle with the people, hence he does not have to remain patient with their dealings, in their dealings. 
Okay, I repeat, the one who gets, who mixes with the people, he is married, he is uh, uh, in the masjid, he has a business, and he is constantly being in, engaging people. And when you engage people, you're gonna have all sorts of people saying all sorts of things. Sabki sunni you know, you have to listen to everyone. When you listen to everyone, it's gonna hurt you. But if you remain patient, this is far superior than the one who says, you know what, jiao. Go, you know, get out of here. I don't need you all. I'm not going to sit with you. I'm going to sit in ivory tower and I'm going to get everything prime delivery to my ivory tower. I don't need to meet anyone. I don't need to mix anyone. The Prophet ﷺ saying, no, he's not better. The one who gets along, who works with the people and naturally he's going to have to suffer. Because that's the deal. When you deal with people, that's just how it is. So many people say, that's it. I don't need to be an imam anymore. Done with this. Because I have to. It's very true. Uh, it's very, 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 very true. Being an imam in an average community is the, one of the most difficult. They say a president, on average, and during the presidency of four years, loses eight years of his life, right? He ages by eight years. So an imam, subhanAllah, is definitely on that same pace to uh, aging quicker than the average person. Uh, due to the stress of handling so many different people who are, have so many different uh, dictates and so many different expectations. And it's, it's a very tough job to keep everyone happy. Almost impossible. So now what should we do? Should we just give up on this? Close up positions and say, no, that's it. Instead, we have to realize, yes, it's hard. It's painful. And it's not rewarding. It's not rewarding work. No one cares. Everyone wants to care about their own needs. No one cares for the imam's need. And his kids and whatever the case may be. But subhanAllah, your reward is going to be much better than uh, divorcing yourself from the community and say, I'll sit in a corner and do Allah, Allah in my house. I have enough money to survive. I don't need all of this. You might have. You might have a separate business, whatever, good for you. But mixing and mingling with the people and handling the difficulties of the community is something that is extremely rewarding. So this, doesn't, this hadith is not just for, uh, for the imam, this is for all of us. When you're doing community work, okay, good example. When you're doing community work, if you're on any volunteer team in any masjid or any organization, and you're a board member or you're a volunteer of some sort, it's very stressful. 95% chit-chat, siyasat, politics, 5% work. Right? That's what happens. And so now what should you do? Should you just resign from your position? Should you just leave? No. Make sabr and work hard for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not rewarding. But just do it for the sake of Allah azza wa jal. That's what this is, sabr is about. Wal-khashi'in wal-khashi'at. Khashi'in, it is that level of feeling Allah's greatness in your heart that your whole heart is filled with Allah's awe. You're awestruck by Allah. That's khushu'ah. When you think of Allah and you're awestruck, when you think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you, uh, you, your, your, heart, your heart begins to tremble. Your body begins to tremble thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My dear friends, the more our iman will increase, the more we will get to know Allah. The more we'll get to know Allah, the more our heart will get khushu'ah. And the less our knowledge of Allah, the less our khushu'ah. So the Prophet ﷺ saw a man performing his salah. Allah forgive all of us and bring righteousness in our, and, and correctness in our salah. Say ameen. May Allah Azzawajal make all of us our salah with khushu'ah. The Prophet, this man was praying salah and he was fixing or playing with his beard. Like this. However he was. The Prophet ﷺ told, said, he said uh, that if he had khushu'ah in his heart, he would not be touching his beard. If he had khushu in his heart, he would not be playing with his beard. Why are we doing this? It's because we're minded somewhere else. 
if you and I know in front of whom we are standing, we would dare think of even consider, think of touching or moving. Moving. We won't move. We'll be frozen. When, 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 they, when, when they, pull, they pull you over for a ticket, what happens? Or how a person freezes. Okay, not even, I can't even open up the hand glove compartment to pull out by... You know, nowadays, because they might just shoot you, right? So <laughs> you have to turn on the light, switch on the light. You got to make everything careful, subhanAllah, uh, uh, you know, because there's a fear there. Now we're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What should be the condition of khushur? Why it's not there? Because we don't know who we're dealing with. They were, you hear about the salaf, when the adhan would be called, their face would turn red. Right? Their face would turn red. Because all of a sudden, they would freeze, thinking that the caller of Allah is calling me. I have to say labbik, I have to show up. So when that khushu will come, then when we come to the house of Allah, our mindset will be different. When we pray, we won't forget what the Imam said. We won't, we won't forget how many, anything. We will be concentrating, thinking that we are in front of Allah Azza wa So this is something what the Quran says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Indeed, the believers are extremely successful. What's the first attribute of believers who are successful? هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Those who have khushu in their salah. So that's, let, let's figure that out. That where am I? Is khushu, is it a nafil thing? It's actually the fundamental part of our salah. That if khushu is there, then that's a salah that's accepted. As someone said so nicely, he said, you know, if we cannot get two loaves of bread for our family through two rakats of salah, how do you expect to cross the sirat over jahannam through salah? If our salah is so weak, we cannot get our needs fulfilled. You need a car, you need a raise, you need, you need this or that. If, if our salah cannot get us what we need, how do you and I expect our salah to get us through the punishment of the grave, to get us through Jahannam, over Jahannam and into paradise? Meaning the quality of the salah has to be increased. Next, those men and women who give charity. My beloved friends, spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the proof that you love Allah. Otherwise, it's not very logical to do so. Why would you give your hard-earned money to randomly give it away to someone? The only reason you're big, a person does that, he says, I love my money, but I love my Lord better. I love what Allah has prepared for me in paradise better than this. Hence, he makes it easy for him to give charity. Allah Azza wa mentions, Those people for whom paradise is already prepared in Surah uh, Nisa or Surah Al-Imran, he mentions those are the people who spend in times of ease and comfort, as well as times of difficulty, right? That's, that's what needs to happen. We've been hearing beautiful, beautiful qualities of Mufti Ibrahim Disayi, rahimahumullah, rahmatan wasi'ah. Every single day, his students post, some of his students post some really nice um, attributes and qualities of his. Every single day, you know, I, I, it's, it's just amazing. It's really um, uh, heartwarming to see, subhanAllah, how Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, created such people even in this day and age. And they're still around. We only unfortunately hear about it when they pass away. But one aspect of it is how much he would spend on his students. Right? And he would act like he, had, he was a millionaire. He said some of the students who had medical uh, surgeries in South Africa need to be done. Thousands of dollars. He quietly went and paid for them. And the student, till now, until his death, did not know that Mufti paid for his bills. Right? Where he would be getting it, Allahu A'lam. But he said, just spend in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like no tomorrow. Anything for his students, he would be opening up and just sharing and spending. And then one other thing he would say about a beggar, a beggars would come all the time in South Africa. And he said, his son says, sometimes I say, Ustad, you know, my dear father, this person, is, he's just a professional beggar. Right? And he knows how to say a story that's heart-wrenching. And he'd say, oh, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. 
He said never, ever, ever he would send a beggar empty-handed. Always would give. And even if say this person, he's smart, smart out, he's coming around from this direction, that direction. He says, that's, that's Allah Azawajal knows what he's doing. For me, he's come to my door. He's come in front of my path, come to my car. I'm never going to let him go empty-handed. The one who's asking, do not reprimand him. Do not scold him. Even if you cannot give, but say a nice word. Don't rep- scold him. So this is a sign of true iman. Charity, a person gives. Those who fast, men and women who fast. Fasting is not only staying away from food and drink, but every single thing we have to fast from that is displeasing to Allah. Anything that's displeasing to Allah, we fast away from it. Number, next, those who protect their chastity, those who remain chaste, those who remain chaste. This is the attribute of a believer. And this is one of the most important aspects that if a person doesn't remain chaste, my beloved friends, then this is what all the good deeds that we did previously all go out the door. All go out the door. Nabi said, La zani wa huwa mu'min. A person who commits zina, he doesn't have iman. During, during the action of zina, and zina could be done of the eyes, zina could be of the hands, zina could be of the mind, zina could be of the tongue. So many different forms of it. Whenever a person is fornicating, at that time he's not, he is not a believer. Think about the severity of this hadith. That iman is lifted from the heart of a person who is indulged in sin. So how important it is for us to remain in an environment in which we are not tempted to sin. That is fard upon us. Like staying away from haram is fard. Hence, if we find ourselves slacking and falling into sin when we are in our different environments, then the solution is, it's fard for you to stay in an environment in which you're not tempted to sin. It's fard. Because if we leave this environment in which you're protected, what happens? We immediately fall into sin. So it's a straightforward answer. That for us to attend the masjid, for us to stay in good company, for us to attend halaqat of knowledge, my beloved friends, is mandatory. Because this is what keeps us away from sin. Lastly, in this beautiful list of attributes, وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ Those who remember Allah abundantly. Uh, you may have heard me speaking about this, this specific portion of this verse in other places, which is that all the qualities that Allah mentions in this verse and other verses, nowhere does He use the word kathira. He didn't say sa'imina kathira. He didn't say mutasaddiqina kathira. He did not say musallina kathira, khashi'ina kathira, hafidina furujam kathira. Kathira means a lot. Kathira is only restricted to which attribute? Dhikr of Allah. That's it. All the other things have been, not been added with this attribute. That tells us the dhikr of Allah is one quality that Allah wants you and I to do excessively. Excessively. Whenever you are, wherever you are, walking, talking, sitting, listening, right? In your office, in your, in your school, while doing schoolwork, and sitting in a, in a college classroom, in the bus, in the car, in the plane. The heart needs to be in a state of dhikr. Allah, 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 Allah. The heart needs to constantly be 24-7 in the state of dhikr. As soon as you wake up, before you reach for your phone, before you reach for, for your light switch, your heart starts back on. Doing the dhikr. And as you go to bed, the last thing you're doing is taking Allah's name before you go to bed. Not only from the tongue, but from the heart. Make niyyah, inshallah, that we become like this. That we fulfill this verse, the meaning of this verse here. All the beautiful attributes, and ending off with the attribute of doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala excessively. Right? So dhikr of Allah includes the recitation of the Qur'an. It includes raising your hands and making dua. It includes 
taking a tasbih or without a tasbih, taking Allah's name. Subhanallah, wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim, astaghfirullah, sallallahu ala Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa All of these afkar. For example, one dhikr I'll tell you. I was coming, I read it recently in the hadith of Tirmidhi. The one who recites subhanallah 100 times. What happens? He gets the reward, hadith of Tirmidhi. I want all of you to say subhanallah out loud when I share with you the virtue. Subhanallah, whoever recites it in the morning a hundred times, whoever recites it a hundred times in the evening. That's all it is, subhanallah. Allah Azza wa Jal, in hadith of Tirmidhi, Allah Azza wa Jal give him the reward of 100 hajj. Subhanallah. 100 hajj. You're going to say, what? This is crazy. Yeah, let's see tomorrow night, how about we all message each other to see how many of us did it. That's the problem. That's the problem. It doesn't take more than two minutes. But may Allah forgive us, how many of us are going to actually do it? Even though we make a niyyah right now. But then, the priority is not there. We forget. Shaitan makes us forget. And the yaqeen, the conviction that I'm going to get the reward of 100 nafil hajj, is not there. So we forget it. Other things we won't forget. But this is the things that we, that we always forget. Right? Don't we always have to hear it from our wives say, how did you forget this? How did you forget that from the grocery store? You know, you know, you're not focusing on this. This is not the importance of this. We, have, we say, no, we have other things in our mind. Well, listen, if we have the reward, a hundred reward of hajj in our mind, we won't be able to forget that. So put this down in your day-to-day items. Subhanallah, a hundred times. Right? And the Prophet said, if you add a little bit, Subhanallah, he will be hamdi. You add wa bihamdi, the Prophet said, whoever recites subhanallah wa bihamdi a hundred times, the gist of the hadith, if I remember correctly, then no one will have a weightier action on that, on that day besides you, unless someone who reads it more than you. Simple as that. Okay, then let's add one more word. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah al-azim. The final hadith of Sahih Bukhari, all of you attended, inshallah, the graduation over here, or you heard it online, or you'll hear it afterwards if you missed it a month ago, right? That was the last hadith we covered here, which Shaykh Hashem taught. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanallah al The last hadith of Sahih Bukhari, that the Prophet said, Kalimatan, Habibatani ila Rahman. Two words which are beloved to Allah. Thaqilatani fil mizan, very weighty in the scales. Khafifatani ala lisan, and very light on the tongue. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al this is it. So if we can do just a dhikr of subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah a hundred times morning and evening, the amount of rewards we're going to be getting is unbelievable. We'll be ahead of the game. So with that, Allah kathira, with that, What would Allah do for you and I if we do this? Allah has already prepared. Allah has already prepared forgiveness and a magnificent reward. That's what's waiting for us. In the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that if you are a believing male or female, it just doesn't make sense, it's unacceptable, it's not possible that you desire something which Allah and His Rasul have decided elsewise. This goes back to the level of what? Iman. When Allah and His Rasul have decided something, who are you to say, I'm not sure about that, I'm not content about this, I gotta take a look at this, I have to revisit this. You don't have to revisit anything. If Allah and His Rasul have decided something, we believe and we obey. We, we say, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know how to answer this, but you know, I got I to gotta, I gotta zip it up and I say, Samiana wa ta'ana. So the Quran here is saying, it's just not possible, not acceptable for a believer to think contrary 
to what Allah and His Messenger have decreed. Look at the honor Allah is giving to Rasulullah He says, Qadallahu wa Rasulullah. Remember, I told you this like seven, eight weeks ago, that Surah Al-Ahzab, one of the main j- j- gist of this surah that we're covering, what is the purpose of it? Is to show the honor of Rasulullah That's the main, one of the main themes of Surah Ahzab. So here you have, Allah is the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate grantor of decree. He is the ultimate decider. But look, he honors Rasulullah He says, Qadallahu wa Rasuluhu. When Allah and His Messenger decreed something, who are you to say something? You see? That when Rasulullah makes a decision that this belongs to you, this belongs to you, that's it. You should never have, you should never think twice. As a famous story of Julaybib comes in, where uh, he, was, he was a Sahabi that maybe did not have the very best of looks. And Nabi Salam said, No problem, I'll get you married. And he said, Who's gonna get me? Ya Rasulullah, who's gonna get married to me? I'm, I don't have a, much of a high pay income, I don't have, I don't have a status in society, I'm not very handsome. And Nabi Salam said, No, I'll take care of this. And Nabi Salam sent a, 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 what you call, a proposal. To a, uh, to a girl from a very high family, or you know, beautiful girl, whatever. So when the pur- pur- proposal was sent by the companion, knocked on the door, you can imagine, the father comes out, mother comes out, gee, what, what's going on? He says, well, I have a proposal for your daughter. Oh, okay, from who? From Julaybib. Julaybib? That person? So, seriously? He says, you know, from that, for, 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 for our daughter, she's like this, she's like that. Yeah, how, do, how, you know, how did this happen? Well, the Prophet told me to come ask you, you know. So it comes, uh, as it comes in the stories, that the husband and the wife are shocked. They're like, you know, what are we getting? This, this doesn't match. And the daughter from the back who heard this, she came and told the parents that, who, you know who's at the door? It's, don't look at the man, don't look at Julaybib. He is coming on behalf of Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Rasulullah. How dare can we say we have to think about it or it doesn't match? Look at who sent the proposal. It's the Prophet of Allah. If the Prophet of Allah sending this proposal, who are you and I to sit there and to think about it? La ilaha illallah. Look at the iman of this young girl. Right? She says that this is a proposal coming from behalf of Rasulullah. We close our eyes and we say, Samana wa ta'ana. I'm ready for this. No matter how he looks, no matter who he is. If the Prophet said it, that's it. That's exactly what's got to be today. Right? In terms of whatever the Quran and Sunnah say, that's it. Even if it doesn't make sense to me. But if it's proven that Allah and His Rasul said something, then I have to bite my tongue and do it. And the story is beautiful, of course, that he gets married and he doesn't have any, any, any mahar, he's got no dowry to give, he's so poor, they pitch in together and they give him things so that he can get married to her. And subhanAllah, on the very first day of, of, of marriage, as they are you know, about to spend the first night, all of a sudden, Julaybib hears, Ya khaylallah irkabi. This is the SOS signal from the masjid of the Prophet that, oh, the horses of Allah, oh, the horsemen of Allah, ride up. Get on your horses. We got to run. Something's going on. SubhanAllah, right then and there, on the very first night of his marriage, he uses whatever means, money he had for the house to get a, to, to, for, his, for his marriage to grab a, 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 an armor, to grab a sword, covers up his face, and out he goes in the battlefield. And SubhanAllah, within hours of him leaving, he becomes shaheed. And when Nabi والسلام, subhanAllah came to find out, you can imagine how emotional he became. How, how amazingly emotional he became at this Sahabi who, who made such a big sacrifice that when he heard the call, it's like you go in this mode. I don't care what I'm doing, where I am. Ya khaylallah means I gotta go. That's it. 
Allah is calling me. That's it. I gotta come to success. I have to come to prayer. There's a need, there's a need that the Prophet is calling me for. I don't care what's in front of me. That's what we're speaking about over here. That when Allah and His Rasul make a decision for you, look at what a wife and look what a husband. <laughs> no wonder Allah got them together. Because she had the iman, with her eyes closed, she said, I don't care who he is, how poor he is, how, how not handsome he is. If it comes from Rasul, I'm taking it. And look what a man he is. That he's got this amazingly beautiful wife from an amazing family. And he says, I don't care. If Allah, is call, if Allah if my Rasul needs me, I leave everything. And that, that, hence they were the perfect match for each other. Although they match for a few hours. But you know, their souls will be with each other in paradise. So this is what this Quranic ayah is. That you have no reason to think twice when, when Allah and His Rasul demand and expect something from you. You have to just say, I'm gonna go with it. My beloved friends, it's a state of mind. We all have to be now in. A state of mind is that whatever the Sharia says, Samiana wa ta'ana. Like today, good example of this is in marriage and divorce. The law of the land, if you're, going, if you're married through the civil marriage, will give women certain rights that Islam doesn't. Or will give men certain rights that Islam doesn't. This is a perfect example. When a person says, yes, I have a right to abuse you and to, uh, from the government or from the land of the law, the constitution allows one party to have undo, which we will call from an Islamic perspective, because Islam is the middle ground. Everything else is not the, not, not the, middle, of the uh, middle of the street is not the middle path. Islam is the middle path. This is the measuring stick by which we measure everything else. Not the other way around. So we're gonna measure how backward some other system is against the system of Allah. Not the other way around. The common law is not the way you measure Sharia against. But rather the Sharia is what we measure everything else against. Right? But uh, is that what we're thinking? We talked about this in Jummah, in Eid. The mindset is different today. The mindset of an average Muslim born and raised in a minority country, as a Muslim minority, who is, who is, who is, who is engrossed in a secular system. What is his mindset? In his mindset is, yeah, deen is very good. But the main thing, the mainstream law of the land, the civil law of the courts, that's what is, I'm going to measure everything up against. That is what is the sensible, normal way of doing things. Sharia, alhamdulillah, you know, if it, if, it's, if it matches my needs, I'll take it. If it doesn't match my needs, my desires, then I'll leave it. But the main thing is the law of the land. The law, you know, suing in courts and all that type of stuff that, that people, Muslims rush into, suing of masajid, you know, people must sue in masjids. It's crazy. We just, just recently I got, you know, reached, someone reached out to me about how, what to do in they're expecting, you know, lawsuit against a masjid, how to go about doing that. So this is not a new thing. And where do, where's, this, where's this shar coming from? The shar comes from the, from the mind here. Because the mind is not an Islamic mind anymore, mind you. The, the topi and the turban is beautiful Islamic. But the mindset is un-Islamic. Because they're born and raised in a non-Muslim community, in a postmodern era, they are sink, soaking in secular values. And they don't realize that, how secular. People don't realize how un-Islamic values we hold, deep down. You know when that becomes apparent? In a divorce case. When does that become apparent? In a business dissolution case. And then Sharia says, this is the only right you have. But the law of the land says, this is all the rights you have. Nah. Now you realize, how is your actual deen? Are you going to follow the Sharia? Or are you going to follow? The law of the land will give you against your ex-wife, against your ex-husband, against your ex-business partner, and say, no, 
since this provision is written, I'm going to do this. I slipped and fell outside the masjid. Khalas, I'm going to sue you for $2 million. Yeah, because the law of the land will allow it. Why not? You see what I'm trying to say? This is, this, this is what we're speaking about. This is where this uh, uh, mismatch becomes apparent. When what your nafs and what you want goes directly against the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is speaking about the story, the actual story behind it. I'll talk about it, inshallah, next week. Allah says, whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger, he is truly strayed into clear misguidance. So when Allah makes a decision, you can't. And behold, O Rasulullah, you told, okay, let me just quickly go over it. Zayd radiallahu anhu, as you know, he is the only Sahabi whose name is mentioned in the Quran. Zayd bin Muhammad, we talked about this before. Remember that? How Allah replaced, he was so sad that he lost bin Muhammad, the son of Muhammad, that name. And he was very sad because Allah wanted to set the record straight that you cannot take an adopted son as your own son. So he was really, really sad. And we talked about how he gave up his father and son and the whole poetry that came there that his father had been singing for years looking for his son. When at last he found him, he said, I choose my prophet over you all. So he made such a big sacrifice. And now the Qur'an says you cannot be called Zayd bin Muhammad anymore. You have to be called Zayd bin Harith. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensated him by mentioning his name in the Qur'an. Right? He's the only Sahabi whose name is mentioned in the Qur'an. So this is what the scholars have written. So Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam told him, send a, a proposal of his marriage to Zainab radiallahu anha, the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam's cousin. And he told her that this is a you know, good proposal. She said, he's a freed slave. He's like this, he's like that. This is his looks, fulan, fulan, fulan. I'm not necessarily excited at all to get married to him because I come from a very good family, high lineage and things of that sort. Eventually, she did get married. And after marriage, however, she was, they didn't get along. Because again, she kept on reminding him of the status she held and he was... A bichara, you know, in that sense, he was a freed slave, he didn't have that high lineage that she had, that wealth that she had, all those things. So it was not, it was a mismatch. And that's why Imam Ghazali even writes that many traits that the husband needs to be ahead of the wife in. Do you know that? The, the farsightedness of our ulama a thousand plus years ago. They have to be ideally more wealthier than the wife. And other things, I don't remember all of them. Oh, mashallah. What was it? Yeah, that one I was going to keep for the last. What was the other ones? Ilm. Okay, knowledge. So one of them, knowledge and wealth, being ahead of the wife, but also height. That's written a thousand plus years ago. He written that a husband should be taller than the wife, ideally. Okay, so think about that. So uh, even in age, this is something kind of natural that a few years older, this not, you know, is beneficial. So there are certain things that as a leader of the household, if a person has, it makes it easy to navigate. Now if a person's, if, if this is switched around, if the wife is earning more than the husband, or has more credentials than the husband, it's not going to work in many situations. The role of the, the man will, not have, will have a difficult time playing the role he's supposed to play because he feels that he's you know, in, a, in, in a lower position. So that's what happened over here. Eventually, because why? A man has this need. What is that need? He has to get respected. As a husband, if you're not going to be respected, you're going to get upset. And that frustration will come out in different ways. You might not be able to say it, but it will definitely be very visible and it will ruin the relationship. 
So this is a key thing. The husband needs to be respected and honored. The wife needs to be loved and cared. Both have their own needs. If the wife isn't loved enough, if the husband isn't respected enough, it's not going to work. So when he, he didn't like the fact he was being treated, and eventually he came to Rasulullah Rasulullah said, no, please, ittaqillah, you know, just, just make sabr, be patient. And so that's one of the key things too that we learn from here is that marriages, we have to obviously have patience. If we don't have patience, we won't last one day. We just won't. So we need to work on our patience as married couples or those who are about to get married or plan to get married. We have to learn how to be able to overlook things. Otherwise, it's never going to work out. And then Allah Azza wa Jal then eventually said to him that, go ahead, separate. So the separ they were divorced. Now then Allah Azza wa Jal told Rasulullah I want you to get married to your cousin, Zainab. But the issue is here, the one marrying, marrying her. The issue is that she was previously married to his adopted son. And according to the Arabs, the adopted son is like a son. And that's what the Quranic verse from the very get-go is trying to, the first of verses of Surah Ahzab is trying to destroy this misconception or this habit of the Arabs, of the Jahili Arabs that you cannot treat an adopted son like a son. They're not your mahram. The, the, your daughter... Uh, from uh, your your daughter is not going to be cannot be treated like his sister. Siblings will not have attraction to one another. But now, as an adopted son, he may be attracted to your daughter, maybe even attracted to his uh, stepmother. Anything can happen. So do not act like this is all the same because it's not the same. Your own son is your own son, blood son through nasab. Adopted son is different. So now, what they had an idea is that if your adopted son is like a normal son and like a, if your son were to divorce his wife, meaning your daughter-in-law. How would it be haram to get married to your daughter-in-law, ex-daughter-in-law? Similarly, they regarded it to be completely reprehensible, unacceptable acceptable to get married to your adopted son's ex-wife. Because they regarded the adopted son like a normal son. The Quran is saying, no, they're not the same thing. You're definitely not allowed to get married to your ex-daughter-in-law, meaning your son's ex-wife. But you can get married to your adopted son's ex-wife, because adopted son is like, not like the normal son. So to prove this point, Allah Azza wa had him divorce her, because they weren't getting along anyway, and then had Rasulullah marry her. This was not easy for Rasulullah at all. It was very difficult, because it was, it was frowned upon in society, big time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, you're worried about what people are going to say? Don't worry about what people are going to say. Worry about what I have to say. Don't worry about impressing anyone. As long as I'm telling you to do it, I want you to be a trendsetter. Imagine how Rasulullah he was so delicate in his mizaj, in his, in, his, in his temperament, how nafis he was, how honorable he was, how, you know, subhanAllah, what, what, uh, how hard it must have been to go against the norm of entire society and to do this. But it was the command of Allah and he had to do it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves his sharia more than anything else. And Allah, Allah used the Prophet to prove this point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the Prophet ﷺ follow through this action to prove this point. So this is the gist of the story. The, the, uh, that's what the translation was about. There's a beautiful many points about Zainab radiallahu anha and um, other things that will inshallah ta'ala hopefully continue. Otherwise the translation, what we did till today uh, was till um, ayah number 20, 30. Huh? No, no, 38, yes.
I can finish 38, inshallah. But we'll, there's still definitely tafsiri points that we want to cover over here. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept whatever we share today. May He make it easy for all of us to bring these attributes and qualities within our lives. May He allow us to have the best character, the best taqwa, allow us to have to do dhikr continuously, day and night. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us also to be remain consistent in our attendance for tafsir. For those of you who are listening online, alhamdulillah, I also want to mention um, that mashallah, our Arabic intensive uh, began uh, on Monday where we have an amazing group of students here on site, both boys and girls. And also we have a separate track online. So just in case you are unaware of it, it's a three-week program that started this week. It's not too late. If you want to join online or on site here in Chicago, please just go to the website and connect with us. Inshallah, you will benefit. We have a Quranic tafsir class in there, Arabic a Quranic vocabulary class. Of course, a grammar class, a teskiyah slash terbiyah class. Uh, females are taught by uh, female teachers and the men are taught, by, of course, by the ulama here. So it's a, a great program. It's the last program that we're offering before schools and colleges start. So try, try your best, inshallah, if possible, to benefit from that. And our one-year program, inshallah, will begin August 16th. So if you're still considering, please do complete your application for that. That program starts August 16th, inshallah. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.